very good morning, and I'm so glad that each of you are here uh, with us to um, gather in this place for the service, but also those who are joining us online uh, through the live stream. As you know, we are concluding this mini-series in Job, and it's based on the lectionary readings. You know, I, I don't know if you know this, but the lectionary is set up so that you will, uh, we would cover through the entire Bible, not every single verse in the Bible, but at least through every book uh, with um, um, selected readings so that you read through the Bible uh, in, in three years if you come just for Sunday services. Now, hopefully you do more than that. And uh, if you know, the Anglican Church also has uh, morning and evening prayer and originally it was set up that you could read through the Bible if you did morning and evening prayer in one year you know and it's a good devotional practice I was reminded of that because we are recently going through a code of conduct for clergy and we are reminded that as clergy we are um, supposed to be reading morning office and evening office you know on our own so I, I need to get on, <laughs> on that personally oops don't tell the bishop <laughs> oh dear he can watch online and uh, anyway um we are now 20 months into this seemingly endless pandemic. And certainly, you know, the, the um, um, thing that Job is trying to address is the question that all of us have, is where is God in the midst of suffering? Where is God when it hurts? If you remember, about three weeks back, I began the series asking that question, why me? Basically asking that subtext, you know, why do... Uh, bad things happen to good people, you know, uh, or, you know, maybe why do good things happen to bad people? <laughs> and in, in that sense, uh, we ask that question, why me? But last week, uh, Evangeline preached a wonderful message, and if you haven't heard it, you can see it online through our live stream, or it's also on our website in audio uh, recording. Don't suffer in silence, she reminded us that we can cry out to God in the midst of our pain, and God can take it no matter what you want to say to Him. He is there to hear. And this week, I conclude by saying God answers, that God not only hears, He also answers. And you may already know this, but most scholars believe that uh, Job is probably the oldest uh, written book in the Bible. It probably predates the Torah. And, um, you know, it's part of what is called the wisdom literature, uh, the psalm, uh, Proverbs, and uh, Ecclesiastes, and then Job. You know, Proverbs sets up, uh, uh, um, 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 tells us how God has set up the world. That in His wisdom and in His uh, um, um, justice, He ordered that if you do this, this is what will happen. And it's a way life is meant to work. But then if you read Ecclesiastes, the writer of Ecclesiastes asks the question, you know, is that really true? Because it does seem like the evil prosper and the good suffer. So it leaves, you know, sometimes if you read it, it can leave you in despair asking the question, is God wise and just? And that then brings us to this, the book of Job. And Job was written really, I think, to answer this question, is God wise and just? And of course, the title character Job, which is depicted here by the artist Jacob Jordans, you know, uh, is, you know, on one hand, it is about Job, but on the other hand, in reality, it's not about Job. It's really a book 
about God. And really, that's true of the whole Bible. The whole Bible, if you don't uh, um, understand it and don't see it from that perspective, you may fail to understand that the Bible is really about God, telling us about His character, about how He operates, how He works. And, you know, that uh, this God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever continues to operate in this way so that we understand His plans and His purposes for us. And especially as we get to the end of uh, the book of Job, the spotlight now turns uh, to God and especially to His answer. And my first point today is that God answers, right? And, you know, I'm not sure how you feel about the answer if you've read 38 to 42 and you read God's answer. You know, we ask that question, right? Where is God when it hurts? Lord, are you there in the midst of our pain? And God's answer in some ways is not entirely satisfying because there isn't a clear um, response to the burning questions about suffering and evil. And I wonder, was this what Job was looking for? I, I would guess maybe not. It's not the answer he was hoping for. Yet, if you read it carefully, God doesn't say anything new or earth-shattering. It's like, it's knowledge that was already there. Job probably already knew it. You know, it, it's um, sometimes reading it, you wonder, wow, is that it? <laughs> Nothing new or exciting here. Um, some of you know, in my undergrad years, I was trained as a journalist, and, and, and that was my, my field of study. And I remember in early on, they taught us, you know, what makes things newsworthy. You know, there, there are seven elements, timeliness, proximity, impact, prominence, oddity, relevance, conflict. And, you know, we look for new and exciting things, uh, and that is news. If it's just ho-hum, normal things, it's not news. For example, I was taught, you know, dog bites man. Not news, happens all the time. Man bites dog. That's news because it's strange and it's, you know, exciting. And I wonder whether sometimes, you know, the way we were taught to look for news has um, sort of lulled us into this place where we are always looking for something new. Um, three decades ago, a guy by the name Neil Postman wrote this uh, book, Amusing Ourselves to Death. And, and basically, he was decrying the fact that news has become infotainment, you know, and, and where we try to titillate or amuse people uh, through the news. And it seems like that's what uh, is the order of the day, right? If it's not entertaining, I'm not really interested. Uh, change the channel or, you know, um, um, switch to a different uh, uh, stream. And I wonder if the church is uh, any different. And in reality, next week, you know, we're going to look at uh, uh, the Word of God and Evangeline will be preaching. I won't be here because I've been asked to preach at Church of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, I apologize in advance for my absence, but I'm not uh, at home sleeping. I'm not on leave. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, ministering to a different congregation. But, you know, in 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4, it says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves uh, teachers to suit their own passions and ultimately turn away from the truth. You know, and, and that's the bent of human nature. So, you know, what God says is not necessarily anything new or different. But, you know, the fact that God speaks, it is the Creator God Himself 
who chooses to answer Job, I think is well worth considering. You see in verse 1, it begins there, And then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, that God himself answered and no one else. Now think for a moment with me, you know, they're starting to open up uh, these vaccinated travel lanes and you get to travel. And uh, Italy is one of the places that's uh, on, on the list. And you go to Italy, to Rome, to the Vatican City, and you uh, get the privilege of taking a tour of the Sistine Chapel to see that masterpiece that's painted on the ceiling there. You know, I'm told it's glorious. I've not been yet. You know, one of these days. <laughs> uh, but if you went on that tour and you had an art expert tell you all about that painting, it would certainly be an interesting experience. But imagine, if you will, I mean, imagination, anything can happen, right? What if it is Michelangelo himself, the very creator of that beautiful artwork, who then explains to you or speaks to you about his handiwork. How awesome would that be? How awesome would it be if Michelangelo's creator spoke? And that's what we are finding here when God answers. That's what Job encounters. But you know, he doesn't just answer. God actually asks Job a question. He had a question for Job. In verses 2 and 3, he says, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dressed for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I'm not sure why the ESV chose that, but basically uh, in the Hebrew, dressed for action like a man is, is in the Hebrew, gird up your loins. In other words, it's saying, you know, be a man. Stand up. You know, don't hide behind uh, 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 things. And, you know, one of the things that um, theology has tried to answer is this question of the pay, uh, problem of evil. And, you know, um, if you want to be a theologian, you need to, like, prove your worth, right? So you come up with big words to describe it. It's called theodicy. Theodicy is the, the study of, of the problem of uh, evil and suffering. And it's interesting because if you look into history, actually, prior to the 17th century, there was no theodicy in theological studies. People were not really concerned about it. And some have speculated that, you know, this is probably the fruit of the Enlightenment. How, you know, um, uh, this is man's answer to God, in a sense, trying to tell God why there's problem of suffering and pain in the world. And, and it could be because, you know, as you know, with the Enlightenment, uh, human knowledge progressed and people began to grow in knowledge and understanding and the sciences and the like. And, you know, with that grew an illusion that we've suddenly mastered the universe, that we are now in control and we celebrate human capability, that we begin to ask the question, you know, God, why are you so incapable of running the universe? Why do you allow these things to still happen? And in some sense, God's question to Job was that, why do you darken, who darkens, who is it that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? You know, in reality, in that sense, theology is really of secondary importance. 
Now, I'm saying this as a person who's pursuing a PhD in systematic theology, so I've <laughs> read a lot of theology. The other day I was going through my uh, thesis, getting it ready uh, to hopefully submit by next year. But, you know, the number of works that I've consulted and I've put into the bibliography almost 400 <laughs> articles and books. And, you know, I, I, I did my PhD in uh, the University of Toronto, and University of Toronto's theological library is the third largest in North America. And, you know, probably, maybe not the world, because I think either Oxford or Cambridge is also somewhere up there, but certainly one of the largest, and it's volumes and volumes. And I've only got one small section, <laughs> maybe one shelf worth of books, as it were. And there's so much theology written that uh, uh, Karl Barth, one of the theologians I'm using, he, he says this about theology. You know, these things really, do they amount to anything more than the turning of a sick man in his bed from one side to the other for a little diversion? <laughs> you know, and, and that's what it is. But you see, I thank God this uh, about this fact. That God is not a theologian. God speaks, and He speaks plainly to us. He speaks to us through His Word, which is why we have it read and, and preached every week. And he continues to speak today. So God answers and God asks, but ultimately what's important is God's answer. And he asked this question, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what were its bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of uh, God shouted for joy? And it goes on then for several chapters where he just lays out creation, pointing out that he is the one who created the heavens and the earth. You know, do you fully comprehend it? You know, and I'm sure Job is blown away by all the things he talks about. But ultimately, why does he answer in this way? He's proclaiming to Job his majesty, his power, but in the end, he's pointing out to Job his sovereignty. That God is on his throne and that he is ultimately in control. And how does Job respond to this? He replies two times. First, in chapter 40, verses 3 and 4, Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am a man of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. <laughs> you know, if I could use a Singaporean colloquialism I learned in NS, no spiang. <laughs> I have no words to speak. You know, I'm, I, my words are inadequate. And Job recognized that. And yet, I believe this is precisely the turning point for Job. G.K. Chesterton, the writer, author, and also a great Christian thinker at the turn of the last century, he wrote in his uh, reflections on the book of Job. In his introduction, he said this, Job was comfortless before the speech of Jehovah and is comforted after it, even though God did not answer his question directly. He has been told nothing, but he feels the terrible and tingling atmosphere of something which is too good to be told. The refusal of God to explain his design is itself a burning hint of his design. 
you know, the fact that the universe operates in a f- far more complex way than our human minds could ever understand, that God's ways are higher than our ways. And the end, uh, Chesterton says this, the riddles of God are more satisfying than the solutions of men. That the riddles of God are more satisfying than the solutions of men. That's why we gather week after week to hear God's word. Even though it doesn't necessarily unpack everything for us and doesn't answer all the questions we may have, the fact that we are invited into the presence of this awesome, holy, powerful God, the one who is the creator of the universe, the one who sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and yet has time for us. That is the assurance we have and that's the assurance Job had and that's why he ends and he says this, I heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eye sees you, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. That this encounter with God transformed Job. You know, Job understood. He, he knew God. Earlier in the, chap- uh, in the book, in chapter 19, verses 25 and 26, we have this verse which uh, we know well and you, we've turned into songs. For I know that my Redeemer lives and that the last He will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. That was his hope and his desire. And that was his claim. But you know this, folks, having the knowledge of God does not necessarily equal understanding who God is. And you may be coming to church week after week or you've been a Christian all your life and you know God or you think you know God. It does not necessarily equate to understanding God. And I believe ultimately with all my heart that it takes an encounter with God to make that difference. Just as Job encountered God in the midst of his pain and in his suffering. And that's the word I believe God wants to speak to us. That's his answer he is giving us. But you know, all's well that ends well, right? If you read right to the end of the chapter, you will see that Job is eventually restored. And that's uh, the great hope that all of us have. And if you look at uh, Job chapter um, 42, and uh, verses 10 to 17, the end of the chapter of the book, you know, it basically says this, the Lord restored the fortunes of Job, and he restored to him twice the amount that he lost. Gave him children again, you know, seven sons and three daughters. And the Lord, you know, provided for him. And, and it ends in verse 17, And Job died an old man and full of days. And everyone loves a good ending, right? It's almost a fairy tale ending for us. But where does that leave us? Those of us who walk the face of the earth today and now, those of us who've been navigating this seemingly endless pandemic, you know, and they, I don't know about you, my hope sort when they say, yes, we're shifting towards endemic phase. And then it seemed like the restrictions are even uh, harder than it was before. They declared that. And I, if you are watching the numbers, you know, it is concerning. And the number in our congregation who've uh, been tested positive, fortunately not 
serious as far as I can tell so far. Continue to pray for them. But the question still remains, how do we navigate through this world of suffering in the midst of this evil in the world? Yes, we know that in the end, all things will be made good. But what good is that to me now? You know, sometimes people talk about Christianity as a pie in the sky and then you die. <laughs> Basically meaning yet yeah, the reward is, you know, somewhere beyond. How do you even know you're going to get that? That you don't deal with reality. And I think, you know, Job tells us that God also has an answer for our realities. Leon Bonnet, who uh, is an artist, depicted Job in this way. And that's how I picture Job. Naked, bereft, forsaken, suffering in his pain. And that may be your condition. You may well identify with Job with what you are going through in life at this moment. But you know, God's ultimate answer was that He sent His only begotten Son. That He is a God who suffered on our behalf. There is a picture uh, painted also by an artist around that same time, Hans Holbein the Younger, and it's called The Body of the Dead Christ in the Tomb. And when I saw that other portrait of Job, I don't know why, it just sort of reminded me of this uh, picture. And it's not how we normally think of Christ. But that is the God who died for you and for me. On our behalf, the one who understands our pain, he took it upon himself. You know, in the gospel reading, we are told he is the one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The God who was prophesied about in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, by his stripes, we are healed. We look at God through the cross. We look at God through Jesus. Jesus is the image of God and it is God's ultimate answer for each and every one of us to tell us that God is not angry with us. That in the midst of our suffering and pain, it is not a God who is sitting up there on His throne, angry, hurling down lightning bolts, making us dance to His tune. That is not the God that we worship. Instead, He is a God who is for us. Jesus, who is our Redeemer, who died, who rose, and who now lives But folks, we don't just need to hear Him, we need to see Him. We need to have an encounter with Him. 
We need to encounter Jesus so that we go from just knowing about Him to truly understanding Him in our heart of hearts. And my hope and prayer is that that happens for all of us. That as we learn to cry out and not suffer in silence, even though we may ask that question, why me? May we all, each and every one of us, hear as God answers us, each of us in our individual circumstances, each of us wherever we may be in our pain. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we come to the Lord. Father, we thank you once again for your word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I thank you, God, that you have not been silent or left us without a witness, but instead, Lord, you have come down to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we know that because he went to the cross on our behalf, he is acquainted with grief. He understands our sorrows and He forever intercedes on our behalf at Your right hand. And we ask and we pray, Lord, that You reveal Yourself afresh to us. May we encounter You so that we go beyond just mere knowledge to a full understanding of Your great love for us and how much you care for each and every one of us. That, Lord, you have not abandoned us in our grief and in our pain. That you are close to us, Lord. And Father, especially as we come to your table this morning, we ask, Lord, that you remind us again and that you encounter us in this place. If there are any here for whom, you know, you may have heard about Jesus, but you have yet to come into a right relationship with Him, you have yet to acknowledge Him as your Lord and your Saviour, I want to give you an opportunity to respond right now, whether you are here in the sanctuary or you're joining us through the live stream. If that's you, why don't you just pray this prayer either aloud or in your heart and say, Dear God, I'm sorry that I've tried to live life my own way, that I have sinned and fallen short of not only your standards but mine as well. Yet I am grateful. Lord, I acknowledge that you provided a way out for me. That you've given your son to me. That he came to earth and he lived a life, but ultimately went to the cross on my behalf. And that you raised him to life so that, Lord, you assure us we too can have this eternal life. This deliverance that we so long for. Thank you, Lord, for that. Please, God, won't you come into my heart? Would you come in to stay? Fill me by your Holy Spirit to live 
the life you're calling me to live. These things I ask and pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time, I encourage you to speak to someone who's a Christian. Let them know about that decision. You know, we want to walk with you. The Christian life is not a life of loneliness or we're not called to walk this journey alone. You know, God gives us brothers and sisters. We use that term advisedly because He calls us into a new family. And, you know, as with families, we are called to walk the path together and to encourage each other. So do speak to someone about it and so that we can help you with that and through that. We're going to continue with the rest of the service. I turn the time over to Evangeline and... Uh,